welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. A couple of weeks ago, Malcolm showed us how having overcome the opposition, Nehemiah started to pull people together and to, to build some community. They built the city walls and they'd started off by recognising the true value in one another. And through that, as they started to work together and recognise each other's part, they started to build community. But that alone wasn't enough. I'm going to read from the last verse of Nehemiah chapter 7 and then on into uh, chapter 8. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers and the temple servants along with certain people of the town and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood high on a wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattihiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah and Messiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishal, Malkijah, Hasham, Hashbadani, Zachariah and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebethai, Hodai, Marsiai, Kebita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peliah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God making it clear and giving the meaning 
so people could understand what was being read. Then, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. This is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and they brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company had returned from exile, built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, They celebrated the feast for seven days and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So here we see the next key thing that happened in turning these these returning exiles into a community. And it was supplied by Ezra the teacher. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 8, he brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And it was crucial for their recovery program and for an ongoing expression of loving unity that what they did was based on the very word of God. And that's what Ezra did for them. He brought that vital element. He was vital in their restoration program because he restored the word of God to them. Now in seeking to bring recovery of a New Testament style of church, we're not just arguing 
that we want to see a reinstatement of speaking in tongues and prophesying. We want to see as well the Bible restored to its rightful place as the final authority for church life. You'll notice Ezra wasn't just dismissed as just a Bible teacher. Actually, on the contrary, they built him a stage. They put a big podium in the centre of the square and it says all the people gathered as one man to hear him. The book of the law was brought stage front and centre. And Ezra's teaching brought a genuine touch of revival to them. Something they hadn't previously known. Because this hadn't happened since the days of Joshua. Now, some people in the early days of the charismatic movement were so hostile to the perils of one-man ministry that they turned against prepared teaching in favour of a spontaneous body ministry. And what you'd see is that they tried to live on a diet of just spontaneously sharing their thoughts with one another. And they regarded anyone who prepared Bible teaching as outdated. But that is a tragic mistake. I went to one church meeting back in the 70s and after a really good time of praise and worship, one person up, one person stood up and encouraged everyone to get real, to be open, to not be false. And he then gave a five-minute talk on openness and transparency. And then there was a bit more praise and worship. And then someone else stood up and they called us to be really real. And no other preaching took place. The church can't be expected to grow on a diet of exhortations to get real. Some expressed their experience in previous situations where Bible teaching was cold and irrelevant. Some argued that the early Christians didn't have the Bible. It was argued that during the first centuries of the church, Christians didn't carry around a big black book with them. And so we needed to just be ourselves in the spirit. And even today, you will find some charismatics clearly give the impression that they are anti-Bible. But if we look at the book of Nehemiah as a guidebook to how we should restore things, we can't take that path. Because what we see is the central role that Ezra and the book of the law fulfilled. We have to remember that Jesus came as a teacher sent from God. And everywhere he went, he taught. He taught primarily about two things. A huge amount of what he taught was about the kingdom. And when he wasn't talking about the kingdom, he was talking about his father. And even after he had been raised from the dead, we read that he continued to teach. Now you'd think, wouldn't you? If ever there was a time when it wasn't necessary to teach things, it would be when he came back from the dead. Wouldn't it be enough for him just to turn up and say, hey look, I'm back. But actually, he opened the scriptures 
And we read in Luke 24, 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He didn't think it was enough just to turn up raised from the dead. If you look in the book of Acts, you find that the early church, and particularly the apostles, weren't persecuted for filling Jerusalem with miracles, but for filling Jerusalem with their teaching. Although it could be argued that the first century Christians had no Bibles, it is clearly recorded in Acts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Paul claimed to have taught them day and night, and he gives Timothy very clear instructions to guard sound doctrine and to pass it on to others. If you look in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, it says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And you'll notice, he's not looking here as a short-term thing. He's looking a couple of generations of disciples ahead. He's saying, the things you've heard me teach you, you are to teach other people who will be qualified to go on and teach others. So he's looking, even at that stage, at a four-generation teaching cycle. Preaching was so important that on one occasion in Acts 20, we read that the Apostle Paul preached all night. And he was only interrupted because someone fell asleep and fell out of the window. Okay? It's Acts 20, verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Now, wouldn't you like to go down in history, in the Bible? Yeah, Perhaps not for falling asleep, but, but there was this young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. And then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, we managed a half night of prayer, didn't we? But, you know, such was their thirst for teaching that Paul, because he was leaving the next day, preached all night. And there was a brief interval in the minute when someone died. Okay, so they brought him back to life and then he carried on. Oh, that we could have meetings quite like that. Not necessarily that people would fall asleep, but that we'd see the dead raised, and that we would give that position to the teaching of God's word. And we can see Paul 
from that example wouldn't have been happy if the impression he'd given people was all we need to do is follow what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Word of God has to take a central place. Why? To safeguard us from error. Whether it's old errors or new ones. Because we're warned in the final days there will be doctrines of demons, there will be strange new ideas that people with itching ears will just want to follow. And actually, some have already been around us. We need to be clearly grounded in Scripture. Because that's the way we can make sure that we're not vulnerable to counterfeit signs and wonders and teaching. We need to be wary of old and strange doctrines that try and explain away the Bible or give a greater purpose to tradition than they do to the revealed truth in the Word of God. Jesus said to the men in his day, talking about their tradition, Thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. It's in Matthew 15 verse 6. What he was actually saying is, you have a great way of managing to totally disregard the word of God so that it doesn't get in the way of your traditions. That's what he was saying. You know, when the word of God and your traditions don't line up, you look at your traditions and forget the word of God. We need to bring every tradition in our church to the book and compare the two. And we need to ask, is it in the book? If it's not in the Bible, why do we do it? Now don't get me wrong, not all tradition is bad. Some of it actually helps us. But if it proves to be a barrier or a stumbling point, we need to examine it carefully. We've started some new traditions. We pass around sweets when someone's coming up to preach. It's not in the Bible. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it a barrier to us concentrating on the Word of God? Or is it helpful to us? The Word of God inspires in us a true knowledge of God. And to know God is eternal life. And we need to know that truth. We can rejoice in the intuitive knowledge that comes from the Spirit and which sometimes reveals Christ to us in a fresh and living way. But the Bible tells us some wonderful things about God that we would never find out intuitively. We wouldn't know what the cross meant if the Bible didn't explain it. There are other events in Jesus' life and throughout the Bible that we can only understand as we seek God's interpretation of these events as they are recorded in Scripture. 
If we bow to the authority of scripture instead of bowing to tradition, we would see what church life and worship are really meant to be like. We see the true place and roles of elders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, only when we say, what does the book say? Now, we need to remember something. We need to remember where this belongs in our thinking. The Bible is above our thinking. Do do you understand what I mean by that? This Bible is the inspired word of God. And as such, it belongs up here. It is way above our thinking. Yet so often, we bring it down here. We think our thinking is above the word of God. And when we don't understand it, we look for excuses as to why it can't be true. But actually, if this is the inspired word of God, it needs to be put where it belongs. Way above our thinking. And if we can't understand it, if what we see in the Bible is not what we see around us, we need to ask why not. Does the Bible suggest anywhere that the ministries listed in Ephesians 4 would cease by the end of the first century? Is there anything in there? No, it doesn't. Does it say in there that spiritual gifts were only for a limited season? No, it doesn't. Does it say there were only ever to be 12 apostles? It doesn't. We need to give back to Scripture the authority it deserves and then bow to that authority in our desire to restore the church. In Luther's day, the Reformation provided a wonderful backdrop. It was like a new dawn. But if you compare it with a dawn, you know, there's still some shadows left in church life. And if we want to see a full recovery of the New Testament church, we need to submit ourselves to the word of God just as they did in Ezra's day. The Bible says it is the truth that sets us free. Knowing the truth releases us. We need to know what happened to us when Jesus died. That truth of the gospel not only prepares us for heaven, it releases us for life in this present world. We need to know and to understand that our old self was crucified with him 
and that he who died is free from sin that Jesus was blameless and spotless it says in Romans 6 verse 5 if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin do you hear that? if we have been united with him in his death we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection if our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin could be done away with we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died is free from sin yeah and yet many people live under condemnation because they don't know that they still live under the oppression of the law because they don't understand that Christ is the end of the law to anyone who believes people live under a heavy cloud because they don't understand there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in 2 Peter 1 we read through the very great and precious promises God has given us everything we need for life and goodliness godliness sorry what it says is his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness can you repeat that after me his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness now does it say his divine power has given us some of what we need it says he has given us everything we need for life he has given us everything we need for life and he has given us everything we need for godliness and it goes on to say through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world 
caused by evil desires. So he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. And through them, you have great promises so that you can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. Yeah? It's that victory that overcomes the world. And it's our faith. And we know that in scripture it says faith comes through hearing the word of God. That is why the word of God has to be central to any effort to restore. Whether we're talking about our individual lives or whether we're talking about church life. The word of God has to be central to that restoration. Sometimes you go into an old church or a a cathedral and you see people just sat there, don't you? And they're looking up at the statues. Sometimes I just wonder, you know, is there something they need? Is there something they're looking for? Is there something they're hoping they'll get from just looking at the architecture? there is something they need the thing they need more than anything else is that someone would start to teach them we read in Mark 6 34 when Jesus went ashore he saw a large crowd And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He saw this large crowd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. No one was looking after their welfare. No one was feeding them. No one was protecting them. No one was guiding them and keeping them together. So what did he do? He began to teach them many things. The thing I just want to ask you this morning, are you open to the Bible's teaching? Are you open to what the Bible says or are you unteachable? We meet people like that. We meet people that are so fixed in their views they don't want to open themselves up to what the Bible might have to say. Are you open? Do you read the Bible? Do you open yourself up to it? Do you value the word of God and revere it for what it is? Where's the Bible in your thinking? Is it above your thinking or below it? Do you apply its teaching to your life? 
Is it up front, stage and centre in your life? Are you building on the truth? Because that is what will bring restoration. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 